Good morning. It's good to see you today. Thank you for being here. We are wrapping up the last verses of Ephesians. If you can believe it, we are actually moving on from that section we've been in forever. So we're picking up in chapter 6, verse 10 this morning and going through the end of the chapter, which is also the end of this book or the end of this letter that Paul wrote. And my thinking is we'll do this section today. Next week, I'd love for us to take a Sunday where we talk about the letter as a whole, especially because it is written as one letter, um, and the church originally, when they got it, would have read it as one letter. And I'd love to hear the things that have stood out to you the most, that God has maybe been either teaching you the most or re-emphasizing or applying to your life the most. And so if you'd be thinking about that this week, and maybe you could spend some time this week, uh, take a day and just read through these six chapters all at once and, and refresh your memory and next week just be ready for that. And then my thought is after that we'll do um, a few weeks leading into Christmas where we'll focus on um, some Christmas-type themes. And then just so you know, uh, in case you haven't heard yet, as you're making holiday plans, we will do the, the weekend of Christmas. Christmas is on a Sunday. And so we're going to do our weekly worship service that week on Saturday evening, like our Christmas Eve service, but it's going to be what's usually our Sunday morning service. We're going to do another family service and have the kids in here with us and all that. And then we won't do anything on, on Sunday morning uh, so that you can spend that time with your family or whatever your Christmas traditions are for Christmas morning. So just as you're making plans, we'll be here Saturday evening, the 24th, and then not Sunday morning, the 25th. But right now, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, I'm going to pray for us. Um, I would ask that you'd pray with me right now and, and pray that God would speak to us by his spirit, that he would teach us the things about himself that he wants us to see right now, that he would give us spiritual eyes to see those things about him and not just to learn some facts or add some knowledge or get some interesting insight into this letter, but that we would actually encounter God and know God more and that he'd be changing us and working in our hearts during this time. So let's pray that together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. Help us, Father, to see you and know you more. And I ask that you would stir up faith inside of us, that you would be at work in our hearts so that you, we would believe the things that you teach us. We would believe who you are. And by faith, we would follow you and love you and worship you Father, we need you to do that type of work. It is a spiritual work that only you can do, and so we confess our need, we confess our dependence on you, and we thank you that because of Jesus, you offer to give us everything we need, that by your grace, you give us these spiritual gifts. And so we come right now believing that, asking you for them, trusting you for them, and thanking you for them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, as I read here, what's this teach us about God? Let's start there. Who God is, how he works, his nature, his character, Father, Son, Spirit, and then based on, built on, growing out of those truths as God applies the truth of who he is to our lives, to our hearts, to this church, what's he saying to our hearts today? So what's this teach us about God? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right. What stands out to you? Truths about God. God is mighty. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. What else? Ooh, that was two at once all the way through. Ladies first. God has provided us everything we need in our spiritual armor. To protect ourselves, and you, this is a theme: is you know, the strength of His might that is making us strong. It's the armor of God, but it's been given to us. And then you go through this whole list. Again, armor of God, and it's what you need in order to withstand, to do everything that needs to be done, to stand firm, to stand. Um, over and over and over, this emphasis of God is giving you what you need spiritually. What'd you say, Chris? That was a better way to phrase it. Huh. I was just saying God enables us to stand against people. Yeah. God enables us to stand against evil. All right? What other truths about God stand out to you?
point us to the verses um, so I can... So down here, this prayer, and I really like this. Um, peace be the brother. Earlier, wasn't it? Up a little bit. There we go. Prayer and, you know, supplication is prayer here. And he asks for prayer for him, that God will give him words. And, you know, think about, at this point, Paul's missionary, church planter. He's been teaching for years and years. He's writing letters to churches that he's already started. Um, and one of the things I like about this, this, this reminder right here is that Paul doesn't reach a point in his life where he says, okay, I know everything that I'm supposed to tell you, and I know what I'm supposed to say, and I know how we're supposed to do this thing. Look, I've started 14 churches now. Here's how you do it. A, B, C, D, like, here, here's how the spiritual life works. I'm going to come into town. We're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. I'm going to teach you this. We're going to implement this. We're going to start this program. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And if we do this, here's the formula, and the church will grow, and it'll all be good. That's not what he says. You know, years and years and years of following Jesus as a missionary, starting churches, writing letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and still here, again, and the Spirit leading him to say this to the church. He says, pray that God will give me the words that I need right now. Like it, it won't be my words. It won't be my experience. It won't be my knowledge. It won't be like all the things that I could draw on. From, like, but right now, that I would be dependent on God by His Spirit to speak through me and to have me say the things that He would have me to say right now for His purposes in my life. So that, that words will be given to me that I'll speak boldly always for this purpose, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that I will just keep talking about Jesus and his gospel, that when I'm free, I'll talk about Jesus and his gospel boldly, and when I'm in chains, I'll talk about Jesus and his gospel boldly, that my whole life would be about that, and every word I say would be about that, and I would never think that what I have or what I can say or what I can do would be sufficient to declare Jesus and his gospel the way that it should be declared. I need God, by his grace, to give me the gift of the words he wants me to say, and this is also, like it, it, it's simultaneously why I would say, don't ever get to the place, me or you or any of us, where we would get in the religious routine of I know the answers, I know what to say, I know how to do this. Hey, here's the ritual, here's what we do every week, here's what we do in Bible study, here's what we do on Sunday mornings, here's what I do during my devotional time. Here's what like We wouldn't get in a routine that is Christless and is not spirit-led and doesn't have the humble faith of dependent on God, that we wouldn't be so confident in ourselves that we just rely on ourselves and do what we always do. But there would always be this humble dependence, this need for God to give to us what we need in that moment, a conscious awareness of, I want to trust you and rely on you and look to you and ask you for that. So on one side of it, that we wouldn't reach this place of, of self-reliance and arrogance and self-sufficiency where we would do this on our own. So that's one side. On the other side, for those of you that think, I can't do this thing. Like week after week, you say, study the Bible this way, read the Bible this way, pray this way. Like in your own personal life, learn to feed yourself and encounter God and dig into his word this way. And then share that with others. To have, to have the boldness, the boldness that Paul is talking about, like right here, wherever you are in your life, that you would do this with people, that you would open your mouth and say, hey, can we pray together? 
and ask God to show us who he is? Can we read a few verses in the Bible together and ask what this teaches us about God? And let's just walk through this together. And so some of you, that, that you would just rely on yourselves and not trust this way because I've been doing this forever. I know what to do. And, and, and I've, I've got all these years of, of spiritual life and religious life and religious accomplishments I could point to. That's not what Paul does. But on the other hand, some of you think, I just, I can't do this. No, and neither could Paul. <laughs> This prayer right here is for is why you can. It's why you can open your mouth this week. It's why you can point people to Jesus this week. It's why you can study the Bible with people this week. It's why you can like in the moments where where it pops in your head and you're like, oh, this is like this is an open door. The thing they said right there. This is a chance for me to show them what the Bible really says. This is a chance for me to show them who Jesus really is. This is a chance for me to show them how the gospel actually speaks into their life right now. And you hold back and you're hesitant and you're afraid to do it and you're afraid to you're afraid to turn that conversation into a spiritual conversation because who does that and how awkward is that and how are they going to respond pray for boldness and believe that God gives you what you need believe that God gives you the word believe that asking somebody what's your relationship with Jesus like is always the right answer I don't care what they've just said to you like I promise you it's always the right answer whatever they're going through whatever they're talking to you about whatever issue it is whatever their focus is for you to say hey what's your relationship with Jesus like can we talk about that for a minute can we talk about who he is can we talk about how who he is answers whatever's going on in your life? And so whether, whether you're tempted to rely on yourself and just mail this thing in and do what you always do in your own strength, don't do that. You need him every moment. You need a fresh encounter with him, a real living, ongoing, day-by-day relationship with him where he's giving you today what you need today. Or whether you think, I don't have what I need and I can't do this. He gives you what you need. Can you imagine you've been arrested for talking about Jesus? You're in prison for talking about Jesus. They may execute you for talking about Jesus. And your prayer is, give me boldness to keep talking about Jesus. Like to keep doing the thing that got me here. To keep doing the thing that got me in trouble. To keep doing the thing that may get me killed. He doesn't say, pray that I'll be released. And sometimes he does mention that. But that's not his primary concern. It's not pray just that things will go well for me. That I'll, it's pray that I will be bold and I will talk about Jesus and the gospel the way that I should because my whole life is about that. Wherever he has you, in that moment, it is about Jesus and his gospel. And so, back to the truth. Yeah, God, and I mean, there's, there's lots of aspects of who God is right here. God, in his grace... And sovereignty, and I think providence was the word that we used initially, gives what we need to speak about Jesus and his gospel. Can I get that on the screen for you? God in his grace and sovereignty and providence gives what we need to speak about Jesus and his gospel. That, that you would realize when you open your mouth in this way, in dependence on him, receiving from him his words to declare the truth about Jesus, 
that this is a massive spiritual event happening in your life in that moment, regardless of how they respond even. This is, and this whole thing has been set in the context of, hey, there's a spiritual battle taking place in the heavenly realms beyond what you can see with your physical eyes. And Paul's saying, and the weapon that you've been given is the gospel. The gospel, the word of God, the spirit of God himself. This is what you've been given to engage in this battle. And when this moment comes, whether they leave him in prison and kill him, whether they release him, whether they become believers, however they respond, when he does this and speaks boldly and declares the mystery of the gospel, this is, like, this is what God has called us to do in this battle. This is what God gives you his resources for. Like, this is why he gives you his spiritual armor, that you would stand firm in the gospel that you would stand firm in who Jesus is, that you won't move on to something else, that you won't think, well, there's something, I've got that, I've got that figured out, I'm going to move on to something else. And this is going to be like a diversion, but we're going to do it, because I was reading Hebrews this week, and this just stood out to me. And if you, if you're not familiar with the way Hebrews is set up, it's written where the author keeps grabbing all of this stuff from the Old Testament that was really, really significant for the Jewish people um, and just in the history of the Bible and the history of God's people and the history of God making himself known to his people that he keeps grabbing all this stuff. And he's like, hey, this was good. Jesus is better. This was a good thing from God. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So he's like, God used to speak through the prophets, but now he's spoken through his son and it's even better. Jesus is better than the prophets. And God sent his angels for these purposes. Jesus is even better. Jesus is better than the angels. If you were going to listen to the angels, how much more should you listen to the son? Moses was great, and here's what God did through Moses. Jesus is even better. Jesus is better than Moses. The rest that God gave his people in the promised land under Joshua, that was great. Jesus is even better. Jesus is a better Sabbath, and Jesus is a better rest, and Jesus is a better promised land, and Jesus is a better Joshua. And so he keeps rolling through all of it. Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better covenant. Jesus is a better temple. Jesus is a better sacrificial system. Just Jesus is better. Jesus is better. But he gets to this section here, and he brings up this weird guy with a weird name that none of us know hardly anything about, called Melchizedek. And he, he only shows up one time in the Old Testament. It's just like a sliver of a chapter, and it's in the middle of Abraham's story, so it's not even about Melchizedek. He just like pops on the scene. Abraham gives him 10% of everything he has, and then Melchizedek disappears again. And so he brings him up at the end of chapter 5. He says, he's talking about Jesus, was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek was a king and a priest in Genesis 14, which was weird at that time. Nobody else was both, which is why he brings him up. But only you know, one little section in Genesis. Now the author of Hebrews brings him up, and then he says, we have much to say about this. So like, I've got a lot that I want to teach you right now about Jesus through Melchizedek, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. <laughs> Don't you love, like, when teachers are like, that? I'm trying to teach you, but you're just not getting it. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, everybody ought to be doing this. You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And so then he's saying, okay, 
I want to teach you this stuff about Jesus and Melchizedek. And I want you to be able to teach others, but we haven't gotten the basics enough yet for you to get this. So then listen to what he says about the basics. Therefore, like here's my goal for you, is what he's saying. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? Like, whoa, I thought you just said never to move on from Jesus. Don't we keep talking about Jesus? Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So he says, okay, here's the basic foundational teaching about Jesus. It's repentance, faith in God, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. The basic foundation that you've got to get about Jesus. I want to move on from that, which sounds really weird so far. What's he going to move on to after he spends all of chapter 6 saying, okay, here's the basic foundation. Then he says, Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then in chapter 7, he finally gets to, here's what I want to teach you about Jesus and Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of God most high, and he spends all of chapter 7 saying, Jesus is the greatest high priest and the greatest king you will ever know. God sent Melchizedek in that weird story that one time in Genesis so that when Jesus comes and he's both a priest and a king, you'll realize that God had already set the pattern for that. And so here's what I want you to see right now. When he says, let's move on from the elementary teachings about Jesus, what he wants to move on to is the high school and college teachings about Jesus. <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. All right, we've laid the foundation about Jesus. Now let's build on that foundation. Here's what we're going to build on it with. More things about Jesus. <laughs> like how Jesus is the great high priest and how Jesus is the king. How Jesus is both the king of peace and the king of righteousness. How Jesus is greater than all the Old Testament priests. And that's why he can't just come from the line of Old Testament priests. There's got to be another priest outside of all them. This Melchizedek guy that you have no idea where he came from. It seems like he just came from God because he's the only one that can set the pattern for Jesus. And so it just struck me. Like when he says so specifically, I want to move on from this elementary teaching about Jesus. He doesn't mean move on to some other teaching about something else other than Jesus. He means move on from the elementary teaching about Jesus to more teaching about Jesus, deeper teaching about Jesus, richer teaching. Like build on that. Give more depth to that and more substance to that. He never moves on from Jesus. And that's what we see here in Ephesians 6. When Paul's like, what, what, Paul's like, all the spiritual armor and resources that God has given you for this spiritual battle, this cosmic battle that's taking place in the heavenly realms that you can't see with your eyes, but you're a part of and it affects you all the time. What does God want you to do? Stand. Stand firm. You don't have to win it. You don't have to go and strike everything down. Like it's, not gonna be, it's not even going to be your strength. It's his strength. But he gives off so that you will stand where he has put you and never move from the truth of the gospel. Never move from who Jesus is. Never move on to anything else. Never think that anything else is going to be the answer for you or anybody else in the whole world. It is Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus forever. Stand there forever. It is his gospel and his gospel and his gospel and his gospel forever. Stand firm right there forever and persevere in standing firm. There's nowhere else to go. 
You can go deeper into who Jesus is. And you can build higher with great truths about Jesus. And you can broaden your knowledge of Jesus. And you should. Like, don't stay just with the elementary teaching. Know him more. Be more intimately familiar with who he is. But don't ever go anywhere else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. What else stands out to you? Truths about God. God gives us the resources of spiritual armor to be used for spiritual purposes. He's equipping you for a life that he intends to have. He intends for it to have spiritual impact. He has made you part of his body and his family and his church, and he has given us a mission that is, is all about advancing his spiritual kingdom in this world, of expanding his body and his people and his church. That we will be making disciples, both for people who don't know Jesus at all yet. That we would be reaching them with the gospel and they'd be coming to know Jesus, be making disciples in that way. They aren't disciples, they're becoming disciples. But also for those who do know Jesus, that there would be spiritual growth, that we would help them, we would just keep reminding each other day in and day out, week after week after week, of who God is, who Jesus is. That it is so important for us to realize, like to, to be aware of the reality of our spiritual condition as long as we are finite creatures in this fallen world. And that is that your, your spiritual life is not static. Like when you hear something one time, it doesn't mean you're good to go for the rest of your life. When you understand something one time, it doesn't mean you're good to go for the rest of your life. When you see clearly how this applies on Monday and you live it out, that doesn't mean you're good to go for the rest of your life. All of us, like the, the way that I say it is we leak truth about God. We leak faith in Jesus. And so you, you encounter God in his word and you get filled up and that's great. Like that's what's supposed to happen. But if you're like, okay, I got it. I'm good now. You know, we've studied Ephesians. Never got to read that again. <laughs> we could go back to chapter one right now and every one of us, especially me, would be reminded of 20 things we've forgotten in the past three or four months. And on top of that, because we've read the whole thing now, you'd see 20 new things in chapter 1 that you didn't recognize the first time because we hadn't read 1 through 6 yet. This is a lifelong journey of knowing God, of relationship with God, of God speaking to us and filling us up. And so you've got to know that I, I, do, I pray that you come in here as we worship together and pray together and, and, and corporately we're together as the body and we study the word together on a Sunday morning. I do pray that you're filled up spiritually. That there are truths about God that fill you up and strengthen your faith. And, and hearing the body sing and worship and declare truths about God encourages you and gives you strength to move forward into the week. But on Monday morning, you're not going to be that full. I just guarantee it. Like you leak. I leak. 
And, and that's why, first of all, if you're not, like, if we aren't equipping you to do this all the time on your own in your daily life, you're never going to be as full of the Spirit as God intends. You're never going to be growing to the, the constant, lifelong, steadfast, perseverance type of maturity that God intends. You've got to be able to encounter God on your own, to be able to sit down and say, I'm going to read this paragraph or this chapter or even this you know, six-chapter six book, and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to speak to me. And I'm going to ask him to show me today truths about who he is. The truths of him that I need to see today for my life, I'm asking him to show me today. You've got to be able to do that. Because the deal is, there aren't enough of us, first of all, that stand up here. And we don't have enough time to do for, for us like, to walk through your life all the time. Saying, all right, you forgot after 12 minutes. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. That's not, and you're not supposed to be dependent on us that way. You're supposed to be dependent on Jesus that way. You're supposed to be dependent on his spirit. and He wants you to know him, not know him via me. And so it's so healthy and so good when we, when we can say, hey, take this and know God this way. Encounter God. God wants to, do you, know what, do you know how much better it is that God wants to speak to you instead of having me speak to you all the time? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that any of you got any illusions about who I am, but he's way, way, way better than I am. Like, that is a way greater privilege for you. And any of the other guys that have stood up here in the past year, whether it's Adam or Eric or Lou or Darren or Keith or Michael, like anybody that stood up here, it's the same thing for all of us. And anybody that stands up here in the future, praise God that he gives teachers to the church and he gives gifts like that and he does speak. He speaks to the body gathered corporately that way and he encourages us and strengthens us and teaches us. It's a great thing. But it's not the whole of what he intends for your spiritual life and your life with him. So first of all, that you would encounter him that way, day in and day, and that he would be constantly filling you back up. And then secondly... This is why we want to live in community with one another who are really doing life together. Whether you're meeting with the community group once a week, that's great. But also where you just have organic, real friendships, like natural friendships occurring in your life where the conversations you have with each other and the texts that you send to each other, you're reminding each other of the truth of the gospel and the truth of who Jesus is and how it applies in that moment and you're praying for each other and you know what's going on in each other's lives and you know how you're struggling and you're praying for each other and that and you're celebrating things together that you're just doing life together that revolves around Jesus and his gospel and when one of you gets a little bit distracted or too focused on something over here that's circumstantial and not focused like in a central way on Jesus, you can remind each other and you can have these constant conversations that are bringing each other back to that. Because that's what God intends for our whole life. And so I feel like a lot of times our approach to church, when we realize, okay, like if I'm a bucket and I've got all these holes or cracks that leak, like we, we either think, how can I plug all the holes? Right? So, so they won't leak anymore. Like I'm going to get full. And a lot of times our solution is, all right, we've got to come up with some more programs that do a better job of plugging holes. No. You need to have a relationship with God where he's constantly filling up your bucket and it's okay if stuff leaks out. And especially if instead of it leaking out, you're pouring it out to other people. Like where he's constantly filling you up and you're constantly pouring out to other people. So we either try to stop leaking or, or this is probably more likely what happens. A lot of times we get filled up on Sunday and then it's, you know, it's drizzling out on Monday. By Tuesday we're pretty, by Wednesday we're completely empty. You're like, well... I need somebody at church to fill me up again. Let's have a Wednesday night service. And Wednesday night services are fine. 
But if that's the whole of what you're doing, because then it's like, well, I want quite, you know, we need a revival. We need five days of the same thing over and over. Then I'd really, be, you know, we need, to, we need to do a better job on Sunday morning. They need to fill me up more so that even as I leak, I'm not quite as, no. <laughs> Jesus came so that you can have access to God all the time, everywhere, no matter where you are, no matter when it is, that his spirit lives inside of you. He has given his armor to you for your entire life. That the gospel's always yours. All these things, the, 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 the truth and the righteousness and the peace, all the things that Paul describes here in this section belong to you in Jesus because God has given them to you by his spirit. Paul is sitting in a prison by himself. <laughs> and he's not empty. And he's not like, hey, pray that I'll get out of here by Sunday so I can come to church because I'm feeling kind of empty. <laughs> No, pray that God will give me right now where I fill me up, where I am right now with what I need for this moment. That's the life he wants you to have with him. That's the life he wants you to introduce other people to. He wants you to be so full of that that when that pours out of you onto them, they start to encounter him in the same way. Was there something I was supposed to write down right there? Did I already write it down, Eric? Are we done? All right. What else do you have? And, and if you want to turn the corner, more truths about God are great. And also, if God's saying things to your heart, how does this apply to you this morning? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah, to have to have a, a a mindset of faith but also a perspective of faith where we realize that what we see in this world it's real. And it's part of the story, and it's part of the battle, whether that's things happening in our personal relationships with other people, or whether that's things happening, if you want to talk, you know, on a government level, you know, city, state, national, a worldwide level, like those type of rulers and authorities, all that's real. But to realize that there's so much more beyond that, outside that, around that, underneath that, behind that, going on on the spiritual level, and all of this is just the outworking of the spiritual reality that's behind it. Because if we only engage on the human and natural level that we can see with our eyes, we're ignoring the vast majority of what's really going on, and we're ignoring the level on which this battle is really taking place, and we're ignoring the only resources that are actually given to us to win the battle. It's not human resources given to you for this battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's not human resources given to you to, to get your way on earth. <laughs> Right? It's spiritual resources for spiritual purposes because whether we see it or not, whether we realize it or not, it's a spiritual battle that is bigger than just the stuff that's going on that we can see, the, the human stuff that's going on, but also it's the spiritual stuff that, that's dictating and influencing and causing the human things that we see. And so to say it another way, if you could get everything you want humanly and worldly speaking and all the circumstances and all of your relationships and every level of government and every political, if you got it all, 
and it wasn't by spiritual resources for spiritual purposes, it still wouldn't matter a bit, ultimately. Do you see that? And this is one of the reasons that I'm going to try to dive into this. I hadn't thought ahead like to talking about this this morning, but it was in my mind when I was reading through Hebrews, especially when I was in chapter 11 this week, so I'm going to try to get into it. Where people sometimes talk as if like faith and reason are at odds with each other. Like you either live by faith or you live by reason. Faith means turn your back on reason. And there's a section in Hebrews 11, this is what made me think of it, if you want to go read it later, where like with Abraham, it says that he believed that God would keep his promise. When he's about to sacrifice Isaac, you know, God's made all those promises about, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you the covenant and the land and the people and all these descendants. And it's all going to be through Isaac. And then he's supposed to sacrifice Isaac. And it seems impossible. Like either I've got to disobey God and not do what he told me to, or if I kill Isaac, the covenant and the promises and all that stuff are dead with Isaac. But in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And so by faith, he was willing to offer Isaac. And what's really interesting there is you think about how Abraham got Isaac to start with. He's never been able to have a child with Sarah. He's now almost 100 years old. She's 90 years old. She's been barren her whole life. And the way that Romans 4 describes it is that Abraham was as good as dead. <laughs> right? Sometimes I already feel that way at 41. I can't even imagine how 99 feels that way. But Abraham's as good as dead, and then it says, and Sarah's womb was also dead. And her womb has always been dead her whole life. All right, so he's as good as dead in his body. Her womb is also dead, and out of that, God brings life. They get pregnant, and they have a son just like he promised, and Isaac is born. And so Abraham looks back at that moment, and he's like, I was already dead, medically speaking. Sarah had always been dead as far as having babies. And God took my death and her death and brought life out of it. And he reasons, if God can do that, if God can create life out of death, then God can take my dead son's body and bring him back to life. And so he believes based on who God is, what God has already shown him, and what God's already told him. Like he considers all the evidence that God has given him throughout his life. And he says, hey, this stacks up as a great reason to believe God. And I know that, that what I understand and what I think and certainly what I feel in my emotions in this moment, it doesn't make any sense at all. But I'm going to believe who God is instead of believing what I feel. I'm going to believe what God has already told me and what God has already shown me and what God's already done in the past. And I'm going to believe what that means right now instead of just looking at my circumstances and looking at what the whole world will say and looking at what I think and what I feel. None of that counts. Here's who God is. Here's what God's done. Here's what God's promised. Here's the power God has already shown he has. I believe that. And so faith isn't like, okay, I'm going to disregard everything and just believe in spite of the fact that it doesn't make sense. Faith is saying, no, I'm going to listen to more evidence than people who only live with physical eyes listen to. Because there's more to this story than just the way that things naturally happen in this world. And so if that's right, like, you know, I'm going to draw this picture here. Like if this is the physical world and just, you know, what we can see, hear, think, the way that we normally gather evidence... Look, if that's all there is, then if you base all your decisions on that, great. You're taking into account all the evidence, and you're making the best decisions you can on all the evidence you have. But if this picture 
that Paul paints in, in Ephesians 6 is right. And there's this spiritual reality that includes the physical world, but goes beyond the physical world, is larger than the physical world. And if you make all your decisions based on this, that's not reasonable. Do you see how foolish that is? It, it would be like... All right, it, it's football season. Bear with me, sports illustration here. You know, in football, you've got offense when you've got the ball and you're trying to score, and I want, I want this to like, apply to everybody, so if you don't like sports, I'll try to break it down here. You've got defense where you try to stop people, and then you've got special teams where you're you know, kicking field goals, extra points, kickoffs, punts. Anytime you've got to kick the ball, basically, they call that a special team. So you've got these three areas of the game, and all three areas matter. And I want you to imagine that a coach comes in and he's like, we are going to be the best special teams team in the country. That's great. But then imagine, so all we're ever going to do is practice special teams all the time. All of our focus. I'm telling like when we kick off, it's going to be the best kickoff coverage you've ever seen. If they kick off to us, we're running it back every single time. Now, never mind the fact that the majority of the game is offense and defense, right? Now, it doesn't matter that we're not going to know where to line up and we can't run a play, and we're, we're going to punt on first down. <laughs> we're going to recruit the best kicker in the world, and if we can run a kickoff back to midfield and get tackled, we're kicking a 67-yard field goal on first down. Like, when you say we're going to be great at special teams, that's good. If you act like special teams is all there is to football, I mean, maybe 10% of the game is special teams, maybe, and you're ignoring most of what matters. Do you see that? Like, do you see how foolish that is just in a really simple way? That's exactly what it's like to live like this physical world, the things you can see with your eyes, the things that even that are happening in this life right now on this world is all there is. If the picture that the Bible gives us over and over and over from the very beginning of Genesis 1 to the very end of Revelation 22 is true. Because the very beginning of Genesis 1, none of this exists. And there's a spiritual God who is a spiritual being who exists before any of this. And he speaks it into being and exists, according to Acts 17, it exists inside of him now. In him, we live and move and have our being. He's around it and above it and beyond it and bigger than it. And you get to the very, very end and he's like, now I'm going to pull this out, in in a sense, out of the the limitations of the physical world and I'm going to marry it to the spiritual world in such a way where in this new heaven and new earth, you can see the whole thing with me. You can be with me directly and know that you're with me directly. You can, and so the whole story is God's beyond this and God's going to bring us, connect us in such a way that eventually we see what's beyond this. And for right now, he's saying, believe me about everything that's beyond this and trust me for that and live like your life connects to that and matters for that even when you don't see it. And so the, the least reasonable and least logical thing you can do in the world is to say, yeah, give me 10% of the evidence, I'm going to base all my decisions on that. That's just stupid. And anybody that takes like a naturalistic, materialistic, worldly, evolutionary view of history and science, that's what they're doing. They're ignoring the mass. They're ignoring the majority of the evidence. They're ignoring the majority of the things they have to take into account if they want to make reasonable decisions. So faith says, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to look at this physical world. 
And I'm going to take that into account. I'm also going to look at this. And I'm going to take that into account. Because that is a whole lot of what's going on here. And so, with all of that, for us to say, the Bible is a spiritual book. And when we come together, we're asking the Spirit of God to teach us, not just on human intellectual level, but on a deep spiritual level in our heart, to teach us spiritual truths about God. And to give us spiritual resources like grace and love and strength and power that flow from God. Like that's us saying, we believe the picture that God has revealed about reality. We believe what God has said about what's really going on. And we believe that it's way bigger than what we can handle or what we're enough for. But God's big enough. Because here's the thing, all that exists underneath God. Inside God, by like He's bigger than all that. When we talk about every being and cosmic power in the heavenly realms, He created all of it, and He's God over all of it. He has authority over all of it. And so we come to Him saying, "This is bigger than us, but it's not bigger than you." And you're a spiritual being who has all spiritual power and all spiritual resources that that accounts for all of reality, including this life in this world. And so we're coming to you for all of that. We, we believe you are who we need. Any other thoughts about that? Or anything else you want to say about that? Kent, you said all that too, by the way. I, that was... But just the spiritual reality that's behind everything happening in this world. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going to end today. So we're just going to go ahead and turn the corner there. Um, just in case you didn't hear Carol or if you're online, she said that th- this whole conversation we've had about the spiritual reality that's bigger than but includes this physical world, that that, that sets the stage in a way or it paints the picture where we can see how significant prayer is. Because you think about what's going on with prayer and I don't I'm not trying to get too far into this but whether like if one of us is praying out loud in here there's a lot of physical stuff going on right like I'm using my vocal cords and the sounds traveling through all the molecules in the air and it's bouncing off stuff all that's physical stuff in your ears and your brain electrically is interpreting that and you understand the words and you're thinking about what to all that kind of stuff and even when you're praying in your own mind still using your brain and knowledge that you got, words that you've learned, all that stuff. But that isn't limited. Like that, that all those physical actions are connected. Like it's like prayer is this bridge that connects the physical world to the spiritual world. That both in the sense of our needs here or our thanksgiving and praise and worship, all of it flows from the physical world up into the spiritual world through prayer, but then also that resources are given back to us, that the spiritual resources, answers, grace and love and strength and power come to us. And it's why, you know, in chapter one, we've got that really long prayer that Paul prays for them. And he's saying, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Help us 
Help us see this spiritual reality. Help us know you more. And in chapter 3, he prays again that you will do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine because really all we can imagine is pretty well limited by our physical reality. And he's saying, we need you to do immeasurably more than that. So you see prayer connecting in that way. But then also, like, you see prayer being uh, an acknowledgement of every truth we've seen about God the whole time. And look at, I mean, it is where he ends the whole thing down here. And watch, just look how strong the emphasis is when he says, okay, here's the spiritual reality. We're not just battling flesh and blood, but spiritual cosmic powers, spiritual rulers, spiritual authorities in the heavenly places. And here's all the spiritual armor and spiritual resources you've been given for that spiritual battle. And, this, and then like when he sums the whole thing up in the context of that spiritual battle, praying at all times in the spirit. And so again, even there, like not just some religious ritual that you can do, not just some human words that you say, but even in your prayer, depending on the spirit that, that he's interceding for you, whether Romans 8 says with, with groans that, that words can't even utter and that Jesus, the great high priest, this is what Hebrews 7 says, if we'd actually read that whole chapter about my kids, that he's at the right hand of the father interceding for you so that God, the spirit and God, the son are interceding with God, the father for you. And you're offering your prayers in them and through them and dependence on them. But at all times with all prayer and supplication, like you would think that all prayer covers it, right? Like, pray at all times with all prayer. I mean, he's painting a big picture there, but that's not enough. Give me, give me a synonym for prayer. <laughs> prayer and supplication. At all times, all prayer, all supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, keep doing this always. Don't stop. Making supplication for all the saints. And then he gets specific also for me that I'll make the gospel of Jesus known boldly the way I should. But just see, all times, all prayer and supplication, all perseverance for all the saints. He's like, this is the whole thing in one sense. If you are getting, if you're seeing, if God has enlightened the eyes of your heart to see who he is and who you are and the reality of the spiritual life in this world, you'll pray. You'll pray because of who he is. And how great he is, how powerful he is, how good he is, how gracious he is. And you'll pray because of who you are, how needy you are, and how weak you are, how desperate you are apart from him, how ill-equipped you are to do this on your own. And you'll pray because of the promise he's made to give you everything you need. And you'll pray because you realize that there's more going on here than what you see or what you can do, humanly speaking, in this world. That there are things that matter eternally, things that matter spiritually. Like that every lasting spiritual thing that will matter for all eternity is something beyond what you or I can do in our own strength or power. Whether it's in my heart or our kids' hearts or your hearts or any, like anybody in the whole world, that there's something that has to be done by the grace and power of God through the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, that only he can do, and prayer is the tool and the resource and the weapon that he has given us for that to be accomplished in our lives. And quick application is why, you know, last year we started, this year, we started the year with a Sunday of prayer, and I want us to do that again this year. And then we circled back around in August, and we did another one as we were wrapping up Acts. And I want us to make that just a regular habit for us of saying, for us to gather and ask God to do what only he can do is as valuable as anything we'll ever do. You know, one of the ways that sometimes when you're texting somebody and you feel bad for them and you've tried to help them and it hadn't helped them, like, I don't know what else to do for you except pray. Or I guess, I guess all I can do is pray. And I know what we probably mean by that. 
Listen, prayer is the best thing you can do for anybody and the most important thing you can do for anybody. It's not the last resort. It's the first thing. And it's not that, well, I tried everything I could do. I guess I can pray. Start there. Now, do the stuff you can do. It's not, you know, James gets onto us. Don't pray and then not help them. <laughs> but listen, surely don't help them and not pray. <laughs> right? Pray and then help them as you're praying and keep praying and pray after you help them. But I was just thinking about these truths about God, this all occasions, all kinds of prayers, always persevering for all the saints. And one of the truths that we looked at in chapter 1, when we were trying to wrestle with these things that God planned or did or brought about before the foundation of the world, we talked about God being outside time. You know, that God's not subject to time the way that we, time's part of this creation and, and we're bound by time because we're finite creatures, but he's infinite. He's above it and beyond it and he sees the whole thing start to finish, that, that every moment in a sense is present for him, like he sees it all right now, unlimited by time, as if he were, in one of the ways I said, in a helicopter above the whole parade and he sees it start to finish and we're looking through this knot hole in the fence and we just see, you know, what passes right in front of us each moment, but he's got a different view than we do. One, just one of the things I want you to think about about right now. If that's right, and I think it has to be for God to be God, otherwise God's subject to time. Like time would be God over God. God is beyond and above time. He's not subject to it. He created it. It comes from him. But if God is timeless, like if you can try to imagine no time, that's kind of what infinite would be like in a lot of ways. But he has forever for whatever prayer you bring to him right now. Like he can spend an infinite amount of time from our perspective listening to this thing you pray right now and considering your request and working it into his eternal plan in all of his wisdom, in all of his might and power, figuring out the best way to weave it all together to answer this request right now. And then he doesn't have any less time left for your prayer right now. And you're, like, he can give you an infinite amount of time for this one, and he can give everybody else in the world an infinite amount of time for this one. And for every other prayer that you offer your entire life and that every other person offers in all of history, he's got all eternity to answer it. Like, do you know how intimate and personal, like something that feels really theoretical, really hypothetical, really far out there about the timelessness of God, like we can't even imagine what that's like, all of a sudden it becomes very personal and very intimate when you realize that for all eternity, He's been hearing this prayer right now. For all eternity, he's been weaving this prayer, this request that you made into his entire plan for all of redemptive history. And so the timelessness of God encourages us to pray the way that Carol's saying. These are truths about God. Like who got it? The wisdom of God. So now, it's not just that you're praying to somebody who has forever to think about your prayer to listen and be like, okay, what am I going to do about that? But you're praying to the being who knows everything, who has all wisdom, who can look and see the absolute best way to do everything. <laughs> he has forever to think as long as he wants about the best way to work this prayer into all of his plans and purposes for your good and his glory. And he can figure it out because he's that wise. And then the third... He's all-powerful. You know, great if he can think about it forever, and great if he can come up with the best plan, 
But what if you can't do anything about it? I can come up with all kinds of plans that I can't do anything about. <laughs> I'm not powerful enough. I don't have the resources. I can't make them happen. But God, whatever he comes up with, like he's had all eternity past to think about all of it and to peer into what's the future for us, but what's all present for him, and to peer into it and to listen to your prayers and to be intimately, like right there in that moment with you, hearing everything that you're asking. And he's got forever to come up with the most wise plan that he can, and then he's able to do whatever he thinks of. Whatever his wisdom tells him is best, his power can bring about. And then this last one, in some ways, is the best one of all. Like all that so far, great. So we've got this being who has forever to do whatever he wants. And he's wise enough, smart enough to figure it out. And he's powerful enough to bring it about. Well, what if all he wants is to crush everybody that deserves to be crushed? What if all he wants is to show and be like, I'm most powerful and you're a wretched sinner. Feel the power of my justice. He could do that. Who's going to stop him? He stops himself. God the Son offers himself in my place, in your place. God the Son lives out the plan that he and the Father and the Spirit hatched from all eternity past in a way where God said, I'll show my justice. I will. I'll punish sin the way it deserves. But I'll also pour out my grace and I'll rescue sinners in a way they could never deserve. And so this Timeless, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He's also good and gracious and merciful and loving. And he says, I choose. In Jesus, my son, I choose to turn all my power and all my wisdom for all eternity toward you in love and grace for your good. And then he's, he's inviting you so strongly that Paul writes it as a command at the end of this letter where God's saying, so come and ask me for it. <laughs> ask me for all of it. Ask me to give you everything I have in myself and, and everything that you don't have apart from me. And it's yours in Jesus. All the things you can't figure out, my wisdom knows. And all the things you can't do, my power can. And all the ways you could never deserve it, my love and grace will give it to you in Jesus. So just ask me. And as we wrap up here and go into worship, I just, I don't have the whole book of Ephesians on the iPad this morning. And so just to see these truths, I'm going to see if I can find them quick enough. You know, in chapter 1, the whole, like verses 3 through 14, that whole prayer section, praise, of, praise be to God that Paul writes, that's where you really get the timelessness of God. If you want to reference that later for that first one, that before the foundation of the world, you know, that he, he knew us before we were even created, that he, in love he predestined these things to happen, all that before, like eternity past type language. So that's, that's the first one. And then... The wisdom of God in chapter 3, God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And so here again, you have church on earth in this world, 
but a spiritual purpose that extends, and it's the exact same language that Kent was referencing there, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, an eternal cosmic spiritual purpose for the church, that, that the work that he does through us in the gospel would show his wisdom to all creation, not just physical creation, but all spiritual creation, that we would see the wisdom of God in that way. So chapter 3 there is for that second one. And then the all-powerful, verse 20 in this prayer, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. So that's chapter 3, verse 20. And then this last part here for number 4, at the beginning of chapter 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But, verse 4, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And so this is 1, 3 through 14. This is 310. This was 320. This is 2, 4, and 5 just if you want to reference them later, because they didn't come straight out where we were today. Like, this is who God is. This is who is for you in this spiritual battle. This is who's offering you his resources. Let us not, in arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency, trust our own. How, how ridiculously foolish is it to rely on ourselves and our resources in comparison to what this God is offering. And then also in some kind of false humility or insecurity or fear, don't let us say, I can't do this. I can't be used in this way. Well, yeah, if it depends on you or me, sure, but it doesn't depend on you or me. Jesus has done it all, and Jesus offers it all. And so every time you feel inadequate or insufficient, great. Just don't stop there. Let it prompt you to go back to the one who isn't inadequate, who isn't insufficient, who is all-knowing, who is wise and all-powerful and timeless and eternal and who is good and gracious and merciful and loving and offers you everything in Jesus for his purposes in your life, in this church, in the world, and in all reality, his purposes for your good because he loves you and for his glory because he is God. So let's pray for that right now, and let's worship him, believing that's who he is. Let's sing together. And if you want to come and and talk to a pastor, elder, uh, staff, staff walks, anybody that's down here just for a time of prayer, if you want to pray on your own, we'll have everybody down here for this next song, but we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing and worship together. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Please help us see you more and believe it more. And I pray, Father that it will impact our lives and our hearts, that we will be different because you are living in us and changing us. Make us, by your grace, by your power, make us into your church and your people for your purposes, both in your world and in the spiritual realms beyond this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.